Welcome to the B-Side Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Frank. And I guess Harper wanted to be in the intro. If you hear her barking. Well, before I introduce today's guest, I have a little bit of housekeeping to do. And with that being said, I want to tell y'all how much I appreciate the listener interaction. And on the alligator hunting one that I had Tony Howard as a guest I had two interactions that actually made my day and well, the whole point of that podcast was just to help people out with the knowledge to get out there be able to do it and make it more effective for them make them have better hides well Somebody responded on our on the actual podcast and talked about how good it was and how well put together it was. So I appreciate that one. But the one that made me smile the most was um, Tony Howard um, was had, does pro- alligator processing. Well, he said that. He had somebody come to him, drop an alligator off. They finished up what they had to do. And before the guy was leaving, which I did not catch his name, um, but before the guy was leaving, he said, Oh yeah, by the way, I heard you on a podcast. And you gave me... Uh, I never thought about with the boat about putting down something so they don't throw it on there. And I think that was a great advice that Tony gave us all. And like I said, I appreciate the listener in action. But today's guest is Adam Tucker. He is the regional, the Southeast Regional Director for Serviceide. He has an Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, which the links will be in the show notes below. Well, let's get started on this podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Adam Tucker. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about you, Adam. Uh, I've grown up hunting in the big woods up in the North Georgia mountains on public land. I've been doing it since I was just a little kid with my dad. And that's just what I love doing. I, I'm a big believer in just, um, you know, putting hard work and effort in it, year-round scouting. That's just what I love to do. Uh, just always been really into it since I was very little. <laughs> yeah. Um, do, you, do you just hunt the mountains or do you hunt pines or anything like that? Or I also hunt in central Georgia. Uh, there's some public land around there and it's big woods also. Um, I, I do some hunting like that and it, yeah, there's a lot of pines there. It's kind of towards the upper coastal plains region. Um, so it, it's a lot, it's a lot different than the mountains down there for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's get into it about hunting. What's, I mean, so you can compare them a little bit. What's the biggest difference you find with hunting the mountains as opposed to like more of the hot, uh, central part of the state or the pine woods? Well, um, deer density is the biggest thing. Um, there's a lot more deer in central Georgia than there is in the mountains where I hunt. 
Uh, we have a very low deer population in North Georgia mountains. Um, but down in central Georgia, the deer population is really high, but it's still not to get it done on a, a really big mature buck down there because there's a lot of competition and uh, there's just a lot of deer in those woods. I mean, I can't tell you how many does I've seen while hunting in central Georgia. It's just absolutely insane. But in the mountains, it's funny because we don't have very many does. I mean, we, we've got some, don't get me wrong, but we just don't have that many, nowhere near as much in Georgia. As a matter of fact, we don't have any doe days on public land up in where I'm at in the North Georgia mountains. And see where I'm at in Louisiana, we're the opposite. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. I, I think we have buck days. I don't know. I don't, so I haven't really hunted much in Louisiana since I was a kid because our deer don't, well, the area I'm at, it's all swampy. It's, and my dad was just like, my dad grew up hunting uh, kind of East Mississippi, you know, so he never wanted to hunt the swamps so we always hunted mississippi on private land we didn't hunt i i don't think i've ever hunted deer on public land <laughs> so it, that's it, uh totally fun. different it, for me yeah. um and so what is when you're going into it um let's talk a little bit about the mountains what are you looking for for habitat wise in the mountains well, the, it's a lot of old growth kind of habitat where I hunt in the mountains. Doesn't um, There's not very much timber management there. So I like to find places that are, just for instance, um, like a funnel with some thick ivies or mountain laurel nearby. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the funnel itself, but it needs to be close by. Those kind of spots with faint trails around them. And when I talk about faint trails, you know, You'll see faint trails in the mountains, and you'll think, well, there's not, you know, it doesn't look like but usually it's one or two big mature bucks using it. And um, the, the more heavily used trails, more or less, are just like younger bucks and does. I've seen mature bucks get on them occasionally while chasing a doe, but they don't use them as much as what you would think. But that's, that's one big thing. And, and I also like to hunt flats especially if it's close to ivies and finger ridges. But it's really important for me to get in really remote areas. And I like to get in places where, honestly, it just hurt getting into, much less dragging a deer out of or packing a deer out of it. I like to go hunting in spots where it's just, you know, face steep and it's just ridiculously difficult to get into because, honestly, there's not a lot of people that's willing to do that. And I've been in places where I have to just about crawl to get there. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, you know, like down here, um, or Mississippi where I hunt, and if you could find a pine thicket in the, or uh, not a pine thicket, or pine thickets were good too, but if you get into the, uh, the briar bushes, because we'll have briar bushes that are, I mean, briar patches that are two, three acres, you know, and, the easiest way to hunt that is you sit there and you find a trail going in and out and hunt that trail. Um, so when you, when you're hunting out like that, do you, what's your preferred method? Do you just walk and sit? Do you kind of like creep around? 
Well, I like to walk instead. I got well, I get in the area, of course, uh, around daylight. I don't get in there too early, but I like to sit till about lunch, depending on how the wind is and the weather. Um, sometimes I'll I'll walk around after I get done sitting if I feel like there might be a buck, you know, coming back towards the truck. I've had that happen many a time. Be walking back to the truck and one will pop out halfway back. You know, a lot of people they, they kind of give up and they quit thinking about hunting when they're done, like you know, when they get out of the stand. You know, a lot of people they're just headed straight to the truck, they're not even thinking about it, but actually i've seen some really big bucks walking back so it happens to always try to look at it as i need to be hunting my way out and a lot of times when i'm walking out of an area um, i like to, to walk and grunt i just do social grunts or if it's in a rut i get a little bit more aggressive do some louder grunts and i've actually grunted up bucks doing that before um, I've, I've went in late in the morning and i've done the same thing i've grunted my way in to stand or I would sit on the ground, and I've, I've called in some big ones doing that as well. Yeah, you know, you talk about hunting your way in and in and out of it. Um, so really, the originally where I hunted was a club in Mississippi, and it was it was a defined morning hunt, evening hunt. You know, you went out before daylight, sat in the stand. Well, fast forward to the last four or five maybe probably last 10 years, up until last year, I hunted a place that was, we, it was a privately owned piece of property, and hardcore hunters, there was maybe three of us on the property. And we sat there and started hunting solar tables. So um, it basically, if the moon's overhead or underfoot, is what we would hunt. And, but... With that being said, I would walk in, let's say, let's say 10 o'clock was prime time. And just my experience hunting that way, you never had a lot of deer moving from daylight to 8. So we'd walk out 730 and just kind of creep our way through. And some of the biggest deer I've actually seen on that property was where I parked my four-wheeler or within 40, 50 yards of, you know, coming to the camp, where the camp was sitting. Um, so that, that's a huge tip is you basically hunt from the time you're in the woods to the time you're out. Um, yes, I'm a big believer in that. And, and also, um, like you were talking about, some of the bigger ones you've seen it's close to the four-wheeler, believe it or not, on some heavily pressured public land, I've seen it to where, for instance, the gates will get opened up before the season opens, right? So everybody's driving to go back as they can go. And it's it's sad because they miss some of the best hunt. What they do is they get back there and they push all the deer back out. And I've done really well just sitting close, literally close to the front gate. Now, of course, it'll be around a food source or something, but they're not they're not as pressured and they've just gotten pushed out. I've, I've seen deer around those areas in lunchtime. So. Yeah. Um, and then I know like our WMAs here, you got, you know, if they might drive, you know, 10 miles down a trail 
but most people ain't going 30 yards, 40 yards off that trail. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it, it's either you want to walk in or, like you said, stay up close to the front, you know, before people start moving. Um, my dad hunts Missouri every year, and the biggest deer he said he's ever seen in his life, and he shot a 14-point that same year. He says they had shot a doe, the group they were with. They were waiting for him to come out. They're sitting on the tailgate of the truck. All their bows are in the cases and all. And he says the biggest buck he's ever seen of his life walked out at 30 yards from him. And nobody could get a shot off this. Nobody thought it's that close. Why would they even, you know, why would you even hunt to still keep your bow out at that point? So, right. um, <laughs> uh, so I've seen some of the deer you shot and just scrolling through your Facebook, there is a ton of nice deer. Um, is there a, is it one of them things on public land? Cause I know how it is in Louisiana. If it's brown, it's down. Because if you don't shoot it, the next guy that you see, is it that the deer just grow that much more in Georgia? Or is it they y'all seem to have a more of a culture of letting them grow? That varies. I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, shoot by the brown, it's down. And I'm okay with that as long as it's legal. Um, I just I try to worry about myself, what I'm going to hunt. But... We, we don't have very many really big deer here. I mean, you're really doing something in the mountains if you kill a, a 130, 120 inch buck. I mean, honestly, it's it's hard to get anything over 135 inches in the mountains. I've, I've only seen one, I think one buck in my life that would have went over 150 in the mountains. And that was when I was a little kid. I've hunted that area since then and i haven't seen another deer come close to that it's it's just so wild uh, and of course in big wood settings like i hunt i feel like they can get a little bit bigger because even though there might be a lot of people go in there and hunt there's just some areas that are so remote those big bucks get in and they hide and they just stay in there and they don't go very far and they don't get killed it's kind of like the one i killed this past season i hunted that buck for seven years in 2015, I got him on camera to mock scrape, and I thought he was a little bit older than what he was, but he was actually two and a half years old at the time. He had a big rack. I hunted that deer so hard and never could see it. And, and my dad hunted it as well, couldn't see the deer. And, and we kept going in there every year and finding a big sign. We knew there was a big buck in there, and we just kept going and hunting it. And that buck did not show back up on camera <clears throat> until about 2019, and he showed up in a mock scrape in the same area and we thought man we're gonna kill him this year and my dad actually me and my dad were were going hunting together and we were about to separate and he was about to go his way and i was about to go my own way and right before we were about to do that we jumped him up he was bedded with some does and it was daylight to where we could see and and i run and he got about 75 yards and my dad shot and missed him just right over his back just gave him a haircut I, I thought for sure, because literally ever since I was a kid, my dad told me this, and I believed it because I've seen it. Usually when you shoot and miss a big mature mountain buck, 
especially with a gun. Usually it's over. You don't see them ever again. And I just figured that buck was long gone. But I hunted in there for the next, for 2020 and, and 2021. And uh, of course his sign was in there, but I, I never could see him. I almost thought it might've been a different buck, but I figured he was still alive and around there. But this past season, I uh, went in there and it, it's like I said, a really remote spot. Hunted it about two different sits and on the third, I killed him. And I, I just was shocked, uh, but he, he stayed in that remote, around that remote area. And, and he still, we grossed him. We gross scored him at 130 inches. And that, that's as a nine and a half year old. And at six and a half years old in 2019, he was probably close to 140, but I would say 135, somewhere in there. But it, it was definitely a, I don't know. It just felt so good that, to get that buck. Man, I was so blessed. God really blessed me to let me take that animal because I, I hunted him really hard. But you, when you get on a big mature, especially in the big woods, you need to keep in mind if it's in a really remote area like I'm describing, you cannot hunt it too much. Uh, and I say I hunted it hard. Um, when I say that, I mean I hunted it, you know, about four different sets. And after that, I knew it was the area was pretty much done because I could tell by trail cameras and stuff that they they start moving at night in that area and in those remote areas when they realize there's some human pressure in there. Because I'm telling you, in those remote areas, as soon as you go in there and you start hanging cameras and you start walking around, sitting down, those deer will pattern you so fast. And I know that buck that I'm talking about done it for years. I called him the big brow time buck because he had really long brow tines, but I'm, I'm just so blessed that I got that deer. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize that when they say, like, deer go nocturnal. Well, like you said, they're pattering you, and they're using dark. They can see almost just as well in darkness as they can during the day. So they're, they're using that to their advantage at that point, you know. Yes. And, and a lot of people don't, like, think, oh, well, maybe the longer I sit, the longer I sit. And that's not always the case. Um, right. I mean, and on pro I find properties that I've hunted that had high pressure, like, the first two weeks of bow season, them, them big mature bucks would just kind of be crazy. Like, they would do stuff that, you would never expect them to do when opening, like oh, rifle season opener comes. Um, yes. You know, like two years ago or three years ago now, uh, the first or second weekend of bow season, I had let, like I said, we hunted solar cables. So I got off of work at seven in the morning. I drove two hours to the camp. I looked at it and I was like, man, they said they were moving at 11 o'clock. I'm going to go make a midday hunt. And in my experience up to this point, I've never seen bachelor bucks to where they're bachelored up. So this is the first time I've ever seen that. And then um, they were just like, no, like they didn't have that mentality of what was that sound I'm going to run, you know, or yes. what was that scent I'm going to run. And there was, there was probably several factors with that. And one of them was 
the side by side, I had to park like a mile and a half down the trail because of a tree down. Because it was the first time we've been on the property since a hurricane. So <laughs> there were several <laughs> factors that led to that. But it got to the point that I saw the coolest thing. And the only reason I didn't take a shot at that buck, and he was probably four and a half, five years old. He was a big, massive eight for, for the property I was on. Like, um, and a little bit about like um, people that are not from the we or Mississippi area. So, if you get close to any of your rivers, so like the Mississippi River, the Pearl River, the A Meat River, um, the deer get bigger. They have more nutrition. They they have bigger bodies, bigger racks. Um, I shot a two and a half year old seven point near Natchez that was over two hundred pounds. You know. Wow. Um, fast forward to being 150 miles, maybe a hundred to 150 miles Southeast of there. And if our buck went over 150 weight wise, that was a big buck, you know? So, yeah. So it, it depends on the area you're in, but so this was an older mature. He was a six. But we had watched him from the time he started growing his rack, and he never got over a six. He stayed at that. He was a three on each side with no brow tines, you know. Oh yeah. So yeah. he was on he was on our hit list just to take his genes out, you know. Because yeah, at at that point, that's a gene issue, not a not a nutrition issue. Um, but yeah, so. He came out with a with another. I mean, it was a four point that was. I think he had bad a, a two and a half year old four point, and they just fed in the food plot, never ran, never moved. Um, and at the time, we had a a food. Uh, so the food plots were planted at this point. But the corn feeders, we hadn't filled them because um, with, nobody else bow hunted on the property except me. So I was using them natural brazen. And they stayed just on the far end of that food plot behind that feeder. And that's the only reason I didn't take a shot at them. And um, eventually, somebody drove by on the road and stopped and slammed the door. And at that point, they ran. But, you know, that, that shows that a deer that doesn't have that pressure at that point will do things that you'll never see in the wintertime. Yes. Um, now, when does y'all season start up there? Just Archery season starts here tomorrow, so I'm, I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about y'all? Um, so, depends on the part of the state. It's either the 1st of October or the 15th of October. Okay, I um, gotcha. I didn't realize that. And then, yeah, and then we run to like February first or February fifteenth, depending on how your season opened. Um, but so let's talk about like the rut. I'm assuming that's when y'all see a lot of y'all more more. You see a lot more bucks for y'all during the rut. Yeah. Yeah, and um, the reason I asked that is because like down here, um. We don't have a winter per se, you know, 
we get our winters are if we have a 30 degree day you'll have a couple of them below 30 in a row and then it gets warm again so our weather patterns aren't conducive to like a hard run you know they, everybody talks about that one week in november oh yeah ours yeah. we don't have that week in november you have that you'll have bucks chasing from uh, my buddy actually shot one two years ago that was almost what I call pre-rut, where they'll start bumping the does with their nose. Yeah. He was doing that, and it was like the second week in a bow season. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Uh, it's, it's wild. <laughs> like, we don't really have, like, like kind of like your time, but we really don't have, like, that much of a winter. I mean, yeah, in the mountains it'll snow occasionally. But honestly, when it snows up there, it's usually in like January or February, sometimes after the season ends. But I have seen it snow pretty heavily during the season. And our rut uh, where I hunt in the mountains is pretty much the first week of December. There is some rutting activity late November, like right around Thanksgiving. A lot of the two-and-a-half and, and three-and-a-half-year-old bucks that are running around then. I see a lot of them that time of year. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's one of the things, like, you know, you were talking about walking and grunting and all of that. We, that down here, it's not conducive, I find, to do it, because you're, I, in Mississippi, I've heard it, because uh, they had a little bit more of a defined rut. Theirs was like, um, their first rut was around, uh, like, beginning of December. I mean, yeah, yeah be, uh, end of November, beginning of December. Like Thanksgiving week was normally the first rut. And then their their second rut kind of kicked off that like New Year's Eve, New Year's week between Christmas and New Year's. So Yeah. Um, yeah, we had some rutting activity then too around Christmas before it. And I, I killed a big deer a couple years ago right before Christmas Eve. They seemed to get on the move around then. And I've I've seen them uh, doing some rotten activity in early January all the way up until honestly up in January, like towards late January. Yeah. Um, I actually had a, I had one of the cameras with videos on it and I watched a doe chasing a buck in March down here. Oh, so. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. so you can't really, yeah, <laughs> but you know, at that, and so you'll see, you'll have fawns that are the same year class, and one's, you know, if she was, if if his mom was bred in October, November, it's almost three months, four months older than the one that were bred, you know, March, exactly. February, March. Yes, um, yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's interesting <laughs> so, with a rut because. Uh, when they're rutting in the mountains, that's when, you know, of course, they're doing most of their moving. And for the most part, I mean, they, they cover a lot of ground, I've noticed, up in the mountains. Like, I mean, they, they really do. it, And you got to keep in mind there's not a whole lot of deer up there either. So just like where I killed that old buck um, back in December last year, I was hunting a spot that only had really two or three rubs around me, like close by. And... The main thing was the does was using that area. 
So I try to focus on where the does are at because when one of them come into heat, that's where those bucks are going to want to be. Um, of course, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's, it's fun to hunt around all the bucks on, and I've done it, but it seems like I kill some really big ones in spots that really, like I said, only has one or two rubs. They'll be fresh, but you, there's just does around. And then that's where I end up killing a lot of the big bucks. Yeah. Uh, so let's switch gears just a little bit. And, uh, let's talk. I see you do some bear hunting up there. Um, do you do that in the mountains or kind of like central Georgia? I do it in the mountains. Uh, there's not really too many bears down around central Georgia, but I do it in the mountains. And honestly, I hunt them a lot like I hunt deer. And it's, it's interesting. I had somebody asking me the other day, um, you know, mountain bucks, they bed, a lot of them will bed on the side of ridges. And they'll, they like to kind of lean up against something. It'll be maybe a big white oak or, or even next to a rock. I've seen a bed like that. Bears will kind of do the same thing. They like to bed on the sides of those ridges. And, you know, I found a lot of beds where, you know, to be a smaller bear, I'm like, I don't know if that's a, maybe that's a deer bed, but I always go up to them and look to see what kind of hair is laying in it. You know, if it's white hair, of course, it's a deer. But it's interesting. They bed really similar to a, uh, a mountain buck. But, yeah, I hunt them a lot like I hunt deer. You can't bait them in Georgia. And the best thing to do is hunt where you can find the freshest bear sign you can. And they're always going to be where the just like deer. Yeah. Um, so can y'all bait deer in Georgia or no? We can. We can bait of course on private land but um I, I i really don't bait i mean i've baited in the past on private in in central georgia and I, it's just I, I don't know i just like going out on public land and just grinding it out that's just the way i've always hunted that's what i started hunting when i was a kid that's just what i love i love hunting big woods that's that's my thing um i don't hunt small parcels of woods very much occasionally i do here and there but I just like to hunt big woods, especially in the mountains. I go up to Ohio too and hunt hunt up there. And that's a lot of fun. And, and those deer, man, they are it's insane out there. <laughs> I mean, you just never know what's gonna come by you on public land out there. But it's still tough. It's not it's not that easy out there. I mean, there's some good deer out there, but but they know when something's wrong on that public land. And just just like this past year, I had to really do some moving around to find where the deer were at in Ohio because the HD had hit real bad in that area I'd been hunting in. And man, it was tough. And I ended up getting on one really highly pressured piece of public ground up there. I mean, it, it was insane, man. How many people was, was hunting that spot, like in that area. But what I did was <clears throat> I found a, a swamp up there and it was so thick. Like you almost had to crawl through it to get in there. And there was some uh, cypress trees in there. I took my climber and I could only get just a few feet, like, I mean, four feet up in a cypress. Like, too high or I'd be shooting down through too much junk with a bow. I mean, you know, you can't yeah. do that. You don't want to do it with a gun either, but definitely not a bow. But anyways, got in the thick swamp and and I, I the thing I liked about this spot was there was zero hunter sign in it. And I knew immediately when I walked by, I seen how thick it was. 
And I just looked at it and I said, I can guarantee that nobody has been in there and hunting it because it's so thick. I mean, you just don't even, it was just hard to even like crawl through. So I got in there, I found deer beds, I found buck beds, I found where just been tearing it up. And anyways, I'd got four feet up in that tree and I couldn't make a lot of noise because we're in there close by. I, I couldn't even get my camera arm out because it had a ratchet strap on it. And, you know, I didn't want to make all that noise because yeah. they're close by. They hear unnatural noise. They know something's up, right? So, anyways, I got set up and I grunted a couple of times, like three times, four times. And it was just like you flipped a light switch on. I had a big six point come from behind me. And then I had a big buck come in front of me. I ended up shooting him in about six or seven yards and I was only four feet off the ground. I only had two shooting lanes. It was, it was awesome. I shot him. He run, I don't know, 15 yards in that thick stuff and fell over. Uh, it was just, it was awesome. But, you know, I was doing a, a webinar the other day with Servicide and I was telling people that story and I was like, that's what you want to be looking for. Um, even if you're hunting small parcels of lamb, or if you're hunting in a hunting club or like me in the big woods on public land, you want to be looking for those overlooked spots that no one else is hunting in because that's where those big mature bucks are usually going to be more comfortable to stay in or go through. That's just something I've really noticed in the past few years that spots you can get on a big buck. Yeah, you know, you're you're, descri you're describing like cutting four foot off the ground. So, uh, one of the parcels I have access to that mostly I trap it. Um, it's just too too small really to hunt, and they got too many people that hunt around it. That uh, it's only like seventy yards wide by like fifteen hundred foot long, or a half a mile long, or a mile long. So it's almost not worth it. Which I went on another piece of it, the backside of it. I found some really good, like, oak, an oak ridge on it. So that may change this year. Um, right. But um, <laughs> we were, uh, you were talking about always being able to get four foot off the ground. And, uh, <laughs> so we bought, we bought, you know, the prefab stands that you buy that are 20 foot, 18 foot, whatever. Yes. And I was like, man, I don't think we need to put all these legs. Let's just put, like, two sets of legs. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to put them all. The deer can't smell you and can't see you, and they're going on and on. So, you know, they're setting up the stand, and I get I get my ADHD squirrel moments going, and I'm like, I'm going scout for another spot. So I get about 75, 80 yards from where we're setting this stand up, and I see a feeder, like one of them, I call them a knock feeder. They got a knob hanging down, the deer bump them, and it drops yeah. corn hanging in a tree. Well, then I look, so I start looking around for the stand at this point, you know. So I'm looking, I'm like, I can't believe that stand's that short. I'm five, I'm five nine. I walked up to this stand and could see where you would sit in it. Wow. Like, <laughs> like, I was like, and Late fast forward, I, I found out who whose stand it was, and he's like, he's like, because I didn't want to have to go in there and cut all of them branches to make shooting lights, you know. Oh, yeah, sure. He's like, that height. I'm sitting there, 
and I'm able to shoot underneath everything. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I agree. So, um, and you know, honestly, almost all of the mature bucks I have shot have been from the ground. I love to hunt from the ground. I just, you know, I feel like a, you know, more mobile and move around if I need to, and that's. I've, I've hunted off the ground since I was a kid and, and I've, you know, learned when I was really young, I learned to watch your movement, especially you're hunting off the ground. I mean, you got to be careful, but even when you're hunting, like, like I said, even four foot off the ground, I mean, there's just some of those spots, like we're talking about, you've got to do stuff like that in, you can't get very high. I know I hear a lot of people talking about, they like to get really high and there's just a lot of places i go to that i can't do that it's either too thick or it's just not going to be a good setup for it yeah you know and you talked about hunting off the ground my um the first my first buck i ever shot was a four point and i was probably 10 years old you know by myself i had shot does a few years before but my dad was like all right i'm gonna let you go by yourself he's like He's like, look, I got flags marking down there. And he says, when you get to the ends of the flags, there's a tree down. He said, sit with your legs underneath the tree. Use the tree as a rifle so where you can prop your rifle up. And he says, shoot from there. And I was like, okay. He's like, I've been seeing a buck come in every day. And um, he says, and at the time, Mississippi was four point or better. He said, just make sure it has forks on it and shoot it, you know, regardless of what it is, just so you can get get a kill out of it. Yeah. And so I sat down, and um, my dad, my dad, my dad, this was down one finger, and my dad's like, all right, I'm going to walk a couple yards that way, you know, or I'm going to walk a couple fingers over and sit. He said no sooner he got down and sat down, I shot. Like, it was that quick in the evening. <laughs> and he's like, so he's sitting there and he's debating. He's like, look, should I get up and go see? Or should I wait till dark, you know? And at yeah. this time, you know, the cell phones weren't, a, I mean, really weren't a thing. then. They had the old Nokias that you couldn't destroy, you know. But besides that, <laughs> you know, you didn't have cell phones around. So it couldn't be like texting me, like, did you drop it? And just wait till dark, you know? So he's like, all right, I'm going to wait 30 minutes and hunt, and then I'm going to walk back to him. And walk back, and the deer ran, and that was my first time I've ever had a deer run like that without somebody with me to where, <coughs> excuse me, um, I had to be like, I don't know where this deer went, you know? Yeah. I was so excited I shot, <laughs> put a good shot on the deer, and this deer was so close to me that my rifle didn't have time to, like, um, the bullet didn't have time to get to full velocity. It was at, like, That's 10 awesome. yards when I shot it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I love actually, Yeah, so, and he walked up. I mean, my dad joked saying I shot him out of self-defense because that's how close he was, you know. You're good. Yeah, so <laughs> he was like, <laughs> Uh, you know, and I was like, oh, I think he ran that way. And my dad kind of went walk that way. And, of course, you don't have an exit wound, so there's no blood, you know. Oh, yeah. So, oh, so I'm like, I think he ran that way. My dad walked 
and he kind of made us an arc and he says not he says i didn't see anything i was like well maybe he ran that way i kind of pointed a different direction and at this point my dad's getting aggravated with me he's like how do you not know where it ran and i was like i didn't think of that after i shot i'm you know 10 11 years old at this point um and then he was like <laughs> so finally he's like look just sit here and i'm just gonna make big sweeping motions in front of you you know yeah. and the deer only ran so they had a creek that was about 40 yards out of my line of sight i could see probably 35 40 yards and or maybe a little bit over that, but it was tight. And there was a creek right on the other side of some uh, thick, some thick, thick stuff. And my dad said he got to the creek and it was laying in the creek. It went back down in the creek and it bled out at that point. But, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, that was, awesome. that was my That's awesome that, story. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'd uh, tell you, it, it's cool. Some of those, you know, the early hunting stories, you always, you never forget, you know, any little detail. I can always remember. All times when I was a kid being out there, it's amazing that some of the opportunities you get when you're a kid too. I've seen some, some of the biggest mountain bucks I've ever seen was when I was 12, 13 years old. And they taught me some valuable lessons because I messed up on them and they didn't realize that they, I mean, after that I learned, I was like, I mean, it's, it's hard learning the hard way, but, but I mean, I learned some big lessons off of big deer when I was a kid. It, it's amazing yeah. how that happens to kids. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, and, I, and that's what, I, that's what my, my dad was like. He's like, but after that, guess what? Every time I pulled the trigger, I made sure I knew where he went in the woods. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I said, uh, <laughs> that's that's for sure. I mean, you, you learned that. That's my thing. I, I remember I'd seen a really big mountain buck when I was about um, 12 or 13. And it was probably a hundred, I would say it's probably about 140, 145 inches. My dad was there with me. And I said, once that deer gets out from that pine tree, because he was walking towards the pine, I just whispered, I said, once he gets out from that, I'm going to shoot him. What he did was he got down that pine tree and walked in, in line with us to where I could not get a shot. He got so close to where he smelled us. And it was the wildest thing I ever seen. I, I watched that deer. It's burned in my memory. I watched it belly crawl under a big blowdown to get around us and get away. I watched it. I'll never forget it. And they just, yeah. those big old mountain bucks, they've, they've taught me a lot of lessons when I was a kid. But it's, they're, they're such a challenge, man, to, to hunt those deer. It's, you know, and it's, it's hard hunting them in the early season, in the early season to be successful you've got to be really close to their bedding area and you got to be hunting around where they're getting food, where they're getting their acorns. Um, that's about the only places you're going to do any good on a mature mountain buck at this time of year in, in the early season. I, I know one of the best mountain bucks I've seen in the early season, this has been several years ago. I had, I got set up close to his secondary bedding area uh, I didn't hunt close to his primary bedding area. I just got next to his secondary bedding area, and he came out with another buck. It was a little spike, and I shot and missed that that buck, and that haunted me. I ended up killing the buck, though, on Thanksgiving morning with a gun, but I, I wanted him with a bow so bad, and, and it, man, it, it, like I said, taught me another lesson. 
I was like, man, you know, it stinks when you when you miss a deer. It just so defeating. <laughs> yeah, so um when I started bow hunting I was thirteen, fourteen years old and my dad took me out to a piece of property and you know at this point Mississippi allowed us to have six deer. Three antlerless and three antlers. Oh wow. And then you got you got an additional antler deer and an antlerless deer for archery or primitive weapon is what they called it. Yeah. So ultimately you can have eight deer in a season and if if you're shooting that that's all you better be eating, that's all I'm saying. But um so what my <laughs> dad would do is he would let me shoot all of my does, you know. If there was and it came out shooting. <laughs> and then he would just hunt for horns at that point. Um so uh the first time I ever squared up on a doe with a bow, um, I was hunting. It was kind of, and where we were hunting out in Natchez was kind of hill, like hilly. And when I say like, they were probably 45, 50 foot hills, and they were almost straight drop offs coming off of yeah. them. You know, they're yeah. 75 plus degree angles coming down. And cool. yeah. the stand I had, yeah, the stand I had was level with the bottom of the or level with the trail you walked in on, but you were still, you know, probably 60 yards from the bottom of the hill, actually, by the time, you know, and yeah. you're probably 30, I mean, you're probably, you know, 50 feet in the air, by all re reasons. Well, something told me to turn around. I don't know if I heard them walk in or, yeah, you just get that intuition and you're like, I, I got to do something. So you turn, I turned around, and there's two does feeding in the little, on the other side of the hill. So my dad would be like, make sure you don't shoot over like 30 yards with the bow. I, I, I don't know what 30 yards is, you know. <laughs> you do look close. And I never will forget, I let an arrow fly there, and I was... When it hit the tree, it's, I mean, it centered a tree. Um, it was a good probably 40 feet in the air. And until they cut that property, that, that arrow was still in the tree. There was no way we could get it. <laughs> like, but I, that was probably the, and that's what I was telling one of my buddies that started hunting later in life. I said, dude, growing up, I was like, I didn't have a rangefinder. You just learn real quick what the rages are. Oh, for you sure. Know? For sure. I, I don't, I honestly don't, I still don't use a range finder. I've just, I don't know when I'm bow hunting, I like to get them as close as I can. I, I want to make a good shot. I've made bad shots with a bow. Yeah. Man, it just, it makes me sick. I don't like wounding anything. Uh, mistakes and, happen, of course, but it just, it just burns me up when I make a mistake like that. Yeah. And, you know, that's like every, my, I got a bunch of buddies. I have a crossbow, and they all joke with me, and they're like, oh, you can't shoot a real bow? I was like, no, I can shoot a real bow, and I'm okay with it. Yeah. But I feel more confident putting an animal down with my crossbow because I know the limitations. I, I won't take a shot with my crossbow that I want to take with my compound bow, which yeah. 40 yards is about all I'm shooting, you know? With a, yeah. So I'm not taking a 60, 70, 80 yard shot with my crossbow, even though 
I've shot it out to 100 yards just to see if I could do it because on the pamphlet it said it could. <laughs> um, right. There's just a lot and, of things that go wrong that far, you know. I mean, you know how it is. Yeah. And, well, and then this is my thought with a deer. Like, I understand that arrow is going four or 500 feet per second. I think it's, I think mine's like 485, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, but I've seen enough deer jump strings with bows that it makes you sick. You know, like, and you put bad shots on them. So at least at 40 yards, by the time he hears the string and he starts to move, you know, it's making impact. Um, And, like, but, yeah, I mean, and that's That's what I said is I don't have the time to practice with my bow like I should. Yeah. Now, I'll get out there and shoot. I'll shoot my 40-yard pin. A lot of times, or my, you know, I got, I have a, so I have a five pin on mine. So I got a, I got a set at 60, 50, 40, 30, so 60, 50, 40, 30. And then the other one's at like 12 and a half yards. I don't know why we put it at 12 and a half yards, but I think it was one of them things that when we were shooting the bow, it was one of the things at 12 and a half yards. I could shoot 10 yards or 20 yards, and it was almost the same impact, you know? So, sure. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. It's not like, <laughs> it's like, whatever. Bow uh, hunting's a lot of fun. It You just, the thing with it is you got to make sure you're set up right. And, I mean, you practice a lot. I, I try to, I, I should practice more, but I do practice. And it, it's definitely, it's a lot of work. It's not easy. You know, it's it's tough. Yeah. Um, and what, what drew me to bow hunting was just the extra. Uh, well, at one point, it was we had like a month and a half before rifle season started. Then you had a, like a two-week split to where you could use it. And then you had almost another month after rifle season ended in Mississippi. Well, Mississippi, to make a money grab, and I'm going to say that it's a money grab because of the way they changed their law, was that you could, on private land, as long as you bought your primitive or arch, or over there, they call it a primitive weapon, it's, but it's your archery head. Um, as long as you bought your primitive weapon, you could use weapon of choice on private land after the first day of rifle season. Oh, wow. So, the reason they did that was because you had a bunch of people buy it so they could hunt with a rifle from, I think it was November 15th is when it opened, all the way through February 1st, you know? Cool. And <laughs> um, I was like, that a lot of people bought it for that. And I talked to somebody that was, was from Mississippi and he actually paid attention when they were changing that law. Yeah, yeah. And the reason was is because it was always primitive weapon between the split and at the end of the season. Well, with your forty-five seventies and your three fifty Whalens, they yeah. said, "What's the difference at this point?" You know, yeah. like, <laughs> like just let them use their regular rifle. And, but uh, now that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> and Man. 
but they had people this year because uh, Louisiana just dropped there. And I, I didn't do the research on my own. I don't plan on deer hunting hardly at all in Louisiana. And if I do, I got a lifetime license, so all I have to do is get my tags. But uh, we, uh, my buddy was complaining. He's like, man, they dropped that, the limit down to four deer. And I was like, you realize some places don't even have four deer. Exactly. Like, it's like two. <laughs> that's like when I go to Ohio, you get one buck tag and that's it. But in Georgia, you get 10 doe tags and two buck tags. That's wild. Yeah, you get a lot of a lot of doe tags. I mean, in central Georgia and south Georgia, you know, in areas that, you know, there's some does need to be taken out, but I don't take that many. I don't shoot that many, you know. But, but there's some areas where they need to be taken for sure. I know I've... I've just done my own research and, and, and like one portion of central Georgia, I know like around the August area, there is just like so many deer and it seems like there's so many does that, you know, a lot of the bucks are just not reaching their full potential. Most like a lot, there's a lot of 80 inch eight points running around that area. And in the mountains, sure. We have, you know, 80 inch eight points, but we don't have that many of them running around. So, the bucks up in the mountains and in some parts of North Georgia, you know, they don't have as much competition and they're not near as stressed as some of the deer down in central Georgia are in that area I'm talking about. But well, I know they had a they had a YouTube channel. I can't think the name of it, but it was a, a group of guys from around the Atlanta area, and they were on the in the suburbs of Atlanta, bow hunting deer, and it was oh, yeah, like seek one, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, that is crazy to watch. Like, I mean, they're, of course, I say that, but um, the guy, the Mississippi non typical uh, archery record, I knew the guy that took it, and he took it off of his uh, back porch. Wow. He said he, he patterned it. <laughs> he pa- so he lived on a larger track of land. It was like two or three acres, you yeah. know, wooded all around him. And he says, Every day, right before, I mean, he said about an hour, two hours before dark, it would walk through. He said, he went, oh, yeah. He said, keep doing that. Wait till deer season. <laughs> and he says, he's been watching this deer. And he said, so he sits up. He sits on his porch to get ready. And he says, this deer had no fear of people, like where it grew up. Well, so he shoots it, you know, and he goes out. And he's showing his neighbors, and you know he's all proud of his deer. It's a huge deer, yeah. And it's not typical. Well, his neighbor on one of his neighbors looks at him. She says, "That's Sparky. <laughs> she's been feeding. She's been feeding this deer since it was almost born. You know." Oh my and, goodness! Sparky took a dirt <laughs> <man>. <laughs> yeah, He was just like, "Well, guess you got to find a new Sparky." Like, you know, it's. Sounds like you had it patterned. Yeah, it was, That's what I do with the, you know, with big woods boxes. And I'm a big believer in year-round scouting. I I believe in being out in the woods as as much as you possibly can. I even keep journals. I try to write everything, you know, down that that I can learn. I just believe in being out there and, and trying to learn as much as you can from the deer themselves. I've been doing journaling for a long time. Now I started doing some like like journaling and keeping tabs on deer when I was probably about 13. 
and it it's really valuable you keep up with everything and i don't see a lot of people doing it but i definitely recommend it but the year-round scouting is really important i i'm a huge believer in that as soon as this season's over i mean really it's just getting started for me i mean i'm out there i'm looking for sheds and i'm just learning new areas uh, learning new bucks and that's just what i love to do and i I also love scouting for in the summer. I like going, doing, you know, um, observation sets. Of course, I won't go where I'm going to hunt and sit in the woods, but yeah. I'll drive, drive around and watch fields, and and I'll sit, you know, in, in areas that I'm not going to hunt, of course, and fall and I watch deer. You learn a lot of a lot of stuff doing that kind of stuff. I mean, you got to be out there and trying to to learn them as much as you possibly can. That's what's really helped me be successful is just being out there as much as I possibly can. And when you can pattern those deer, I mean, you, you can get it done, a big one like that. Yeah, you know, um, I know, it sounds like you don't hunt a lot of food plots, but um, when we had, a, we had a bunch of old established food plots on the property we were on, so they've been, for the past like 30 years, they've been having a food plot in them areas. You know, where, where our stands were, they've been planning for at least 20 years. Every single one of our box stands. So we were sitting there, and we had this big food plot, and they kept having, you could tell it was a deer step out, but, I mean, it was, like, right when you couldn't see anything. You know, yeah. like, you put the scope up on it, and you're like, I can't tell what that is. Mm -hmm. So I decided one day I'm going to take my climber. I'm going to go. Walk, I'm going to go walk down a trail or I'm going to go walk into the woods a little bit while well, I get 30 yards off the food plot and there's this trail that looks like a highway that just parallels the food plot and I'm like what is going on here like I'm never like so I set up on it and I screwed up with this buck and he was smart enough to know not to come back but uh I shifted at the wrong time, and he took off, you know. But, one of, I mean, it was a giant 12-point just. And he he was new enough not to walk in the food plot till after dark. And he was just walking edges, you know, 30 yards in the woods where you couldn't see him. Yeah, um, yeah. And that deer, talking about trying not to get, you know, blow out an area or whatever, that deer would come into that food plot almost every night that we hunted him. He would come and see the, at least the does in the food plot. And um, that deer would never go and front the camera, would never go to the corn feeder. He strictly wow. stayed. He stayed in, he ate in the green field because uh, we know that because after a while, the following year, I'd taken a T-post and drove it randomly in the middle of the stand and put a, a spy point on it, like randomly yeah. in the field, away yeah. from the feeder. And it, I'm, I'm about 98% sure it's either the same, it was the same deer or a different, or it's, or one of its child that was coming out. And he would stay, he was staying 20, 30 yards from that corn feeder at all times. You know? Wow. So, wow. Do uh do, do y'all get spooked much by trail cameras? I know my mountain bugs; they seem to get pretty timid about them in some spots. Uh, 
not really. Like, uh, I think them big bucks just learn that them, because down here, everybody sees. If you go onto a piece of private property, every single stand has a feeder on it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's, a lot of people don't try to pattern them. They'll just put a corn feeder out, and then they only hunt when they're rutting hard. Yeah, that's really the only spot. Uh, it's wild. I had a my, big uh, mountain buck I targeted several. It's been five or six years ago. It was a really big mountain buck, and I put a camera out. In it was in July, June or July. It, it sat for a while before the buck came by, and I'd actually gotten it and putting it up. I put it up way up high in a tree to where it's looking down, so that way, obviously, it won't be right there the deer's gonna turn and look at it right i had it up really high and that buck still walked by that tree and looked straight up and seen that camera and just flipped out he didn't like it and i just it's amazing the way they do that up in the mountains and and i've I've seen them do stuff like that around public ground in central georgia too but in the mountains they that you you got to have that camera hidden really well and um, I'm, I'm putting out a video here pretty soon, actually, of that big nine-and-a-half-year-old buck I was telling you about that I, I killed. The camera was hidden pretty well, and he didn't pay it attention when he visited Mox Crape. He looked at it a couple times, and he, he didn't like it. But it, it, I don't know. It's just interesting. And, and I fully believe – I mean, I know it's true. Each mature buck has a different personality. They all have different personalities, so I know some of them seem a lot more timid and spookier um, when they see trail cameras than some of the other ones. I've seen some bucks walk by, and, and they really don't get too spooked when they see it, so they just all have different personalities. I, I know that for sure. Some bucks are more aggressive than the others. I've seen that before, too. And so, a few years ago, you talked about trail cameras. Yeah. Uh, I was buying like your brownings and your higher end cameras. And we're, we're so humid down here that you get one to two seasons out of any camera and it's done. <laughs> oh, wow. Like it don't matter if it's, it, it don't matter if it's a, a $300 camera or the $50 camera from Walmart. Oh, now, man, what I have noticed, I don't know if it's the infrared technology on them, on the, the the uh the better cameras must have a better infrared or something but the cheap cameras it'll snap a picture and then the second picture i get of everything is always of the deer looking dead at the camera so i don't know if if it's making some type of noise or if the infrared's admitting something that the deer can see but like when you get your higher end cameras and i'm talking about the two three hundred dollar range one you know, I don't normally have that problem. Well, it's interesting, you know. It's interesting because I know for, I was about to say, I know that the, the cheaper cameras, like the Tasco cameras you get from Walmart, they do make a small yeah. noise when you walk by them. And, of course, you know, they, they can flash red. I've seen them do that. But, you know, even with some of the more expensive cameras I've run for mountain bucks, they have still gotten kind of spooked around them. So I'm not sure. It's yeah. the, it's wild, man. It's they are just so smart to they're hard to beat. 
it, it's wild but yeah in central georgia i've i've hung cameras and i've had them get spooked around those walmart cameras a lot uh, they they don't seem as timid in central georgia than they do up in the mountains with the cameras yeah you know and we were talking about that uh one of my buddies and he's like man i just can't justify spending because i was talking about the spot points are 99 bucks he's like justify spending a hundred bucks on a camera you know when i can go buy my wife thought i'd just stay in buying one for 50 bucks at walmart or yeah. you know academy or whatever you want to shop i says but the difference is with that hundred bucks if you put a solar panel on a spot point you you know you spend the 150 200 bucks whatever it is for the ones with the solar panel yeah you never have to go into that camera you know that's true that's true. The whole you you should be able to get a season if it's set right, to where you don't have to go into the camera. You don't give that extra scent. And I think that's what happens a lot of times when people put cameras out is that they'll go in there, and they they want to check them every day or every you know or every week. Right. And what you're doing is all you're doing is putting scent down there. Exactly. Now, <laughs> I I called it the zoo that I used to hunt because it was almost like a petting zoo that we would so pretty much we were up there every month riding around um you know if it wasn't during deer season we were still riding the property cutting trails so the activity never left that property yeah them deer seemed to be more comfortable than like you see, got so many clubs that are like, "Oh, you can't ride four wheelers if it's not hunting season." Well, they just learned how to pattern you real easy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, I had a guy tell me one of the places I trap. He's like, "Man, you ride a four wheeler, deer won't come out." And I was like, "Oh, all right." And I was like, "Well, I'm trapping, and I don't care if I see deer or not. I've seen more deer." running my trap out on my four wheeler than I have actually sitting in a stand on that property. <laughs> I believe I believe so, it, man. They know they probably know something's wrong if you're not on that four wheeler. And you, you bringing up that um reminds me it's kinda like of hiking trails, especially up in the mountains like around Appalachian Trail. Uh those mature bucks, yeah. they know something's wrong when you set foot off that trail. They just know and I've seen them do that in other places too where if you're hunting some public ground and it's around a hiking trail, when you're off that trail, even if it's by 50 yards, they are still a little spooky. They know something's not quite right. So it's very yeah. interesting. And, and, and when you were talking about the, the yeah. cameras, that's a big thing too, because there's a lot of bears in the mountains where I hunt, and they love to mess with my cameras. So I don't put very many expensive cameras out. They love to chew on them. So the, during during the warmer months, like in summertime, springtime, and in the fall, um, I put my Walmart cameras out so they can chew on them as much as they want. But I put my higher end cameras out around Thanksgiving when the bear when the bear activity slows down because they smell. Yeah, um, yeah, we're getting to the point now. We're getting to the point now that. Like, really not the area of Louisiana I'm in. I'm kind of in that. So I'm between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. If, you know. Okay. Um, yeah. that, that area, we really don't 
him there necessarily on the end that I'm on, closer to New Orleans and kind of like the, the toe part of the boot, if you would say. But like central Louisiana, the Chafalaya Basin and all, it's getting to the point with the bears that um, that people are like at the point that they just want to shoot them. And they had a biologist come out and say, there's really not that many bears. Yeah. Well, then why are they like that much of a problem? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, they are. They are curious creatures too, man. They, they'll destroy your tree stand. You got it hanging low. Like if you leave your climber at the bottom, they'll chew on the seat. Yeah. And they'll, they'll take care of that for you. Uh, they love to take care of cameras. I, I had one, like I was saying earlier, I had one of my trap cameras hung and grabbed it, chewed on it, pulled it down all the way to the ground. And so there my camera was pointed up toward the sky and somehow I managed to get a mountain bug walk by it. And all I could see was a silhouette of its neck and its little rack. So it was it was funny, but I was, I was still pretty annoyed because most of the other videos were just a black blob, and then you could see teeth and a tongue. And I'm telling you, I get so sick and tired of them doing that. Yeah, uh, you know, little story about a bear in the Chafalaya Basin. Um, this this older gentleman I know that lives out that way. He said he was in a camp that they had a bear problem with. Yeah. And he said the bear during the week would only come. It wouldn't come on the weekends. It only come during the week. And it would sleep in one guy's bed and made the other bed in the room of a train. <laughs> he said it every week. And he says he and he says for years this bear outsmarted wildlife officials. They could not they couldn't capture that bear to save their life. That's wild. <laughs> he said, yeah. but he said the only reason they knew it was a bear breaking in is because they used it one bed as a latrine. But <laughs> yeah, those bears. It, the funny thing about them is they can't see very well, but man, they can smell. They'll they'll bust you. I, I hunt them off the ground, basically like I do mountain bucks, and you know that I really don't have to worry too much about them seeing me. But if that wind's wrong, man, they'll what they'll do is if they smell you, they'll come up close, like if they're up close they'll start turning the other way and kind of they'll look the direction you're going to run. They'll turn, they'll look at you and then they'll turn around and look the other way. So that's kind of how you can read a bear when you know it's about to bolt. And I've watched them do it before, but it's a lot of fun yeah. hunting bears. It really is. I, um, I also guide yeah, for so them up in, up in the North Georgia mountains. I mainly died for them in September and October because that's the warmer months. So that's the two best times to go. Now for your mountain bucks, you know, it's best to wait until around Thanksgiving to get after them. Yeah. All right, man. I'm not going to keep you too much longer because we're sitting right over an hour, I believe. Um, if you want to tell them where they can find you. I know you were talking about putting a video out in your guide service. and Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, well, I appreciate you for having me on, man. But my YouTube channel is Hunting and Fishing in God's Country. And I also have a Facebook page. It's Adam's Appalachian Adventures. You can find me there on Facebook. I have an Instagram page for Hunting and Fishing in God's Country. So you can find me at any one of those places and just um, message me if you're interested in going on a God's hunting trip with me. And I'll show you everything I know. Yeah. Um, 
And you're also the re- the South- Southeast Regional Director for Serviceide, correct? Yes, sir. I am. I'm the Southeast Regional Director for Serviceide. Yes, sir. Um, and just to, and the only reason I'm bringing that up is that's because that's how me and Adam actually got connected with being both members yeah. of Serviceide. And um, so if you're looking for knowledge like Adam's, and there's a ton of people that have knowledge from all over the country. I think every state has a member from what I yes. understand. Yes. Um, so if you want to hunt any state, join Serviceide. They have a member that will help you out that um, has has a ton of knowledge. And so. Yeah, Serviceide right, is really, really great. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I joined four or five years ago and um it was right right before justin took over as the membership director i think he yes and uh and when he took over it definitely i, I thought i took a hundred percent turn for the better you know and every year he's he's uh making it better and getting us more <laughs> partner discounts and <laughs> for sure justin justin's a great guy he's a great guy great hunter too great turkey hunter great yeah. deer hunter he, he's all around he's a good guy the service side is great though if, if anybody's listening to this that isn't a member i i definitely recommend it because like we were just saying a few moments ago I mean, you can get advice pretty much just about from any state and then we do the hunt link program through service side so you can literally basically trade a hunt. Like you can uh, do a hunt link with me. I can take you on a bear hunt. And, you know, yeah. for instance, if you're out West and you hunt mule deer and you want to come black bear hunt with me, I'll, you know, we can trade a trip and I'll go mule deer hunting with you. <laughs> That's what I'm wanting to do. Yeah. Go on a mule deer hunt. <laughs> you so, know, yeah. I got a touch it on that briefly. I got uh, my uncles every, every winter or fall go out elk hunting. And they, they always, if they could buy it over the counter mule deer tag, they're buying it just because, you know, you're out there. Um, I think they, they started buying their bear tags too, the one, the states that had over the counter, just because you're out there already, you know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You never yeah, know what you're sure. going to come across. I can't blame but, them. Uh, they, like, they were, yeah, yeah I, I don't blame them. It's kind of like Justin because, you know, he's from around, he lives around Florida, and, and I'm going to go on a hunt link with him. Um, for deer down there in Florida this year and in deer hunting in the North Georgia mountains. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but, so my, uh, one of my uncles said they went, so they've hunted Idaho, Colorado, New Mexico, and they kind of move around every year, you know, where they're going to hunt. Yeah. And he said, and someone was like, man, he says, I don't know how I fell out of mountain for eight hours straight in Idaho, but I did. He said, I'll never go back to Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> but the way he told me, he said, yeah, I fell out of mountain, a mountain for eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. He said, thank God I didn't see anything. He said, he said uh, they shot it at 100 yards and couldn't, didn't even see where the bullet hit on his uh-huh. rifle. So they moved it to like 20 yards, and he said it was like a foot and a half off. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah. So, all right, Adam, thank you for coming on. Um, 
And if you want to join server side, I on my on the B side link tree, I actually have the link to join server side on there. So you can just go ahead and click on that. Um, I'm gonna put Adams uh, all of his Facebook links, and I don't I don't know if you have a link tree or anything like that. I'll put it in the show notes below, um, so where you can go find him. Make sure you check it out. All right, thank you, Adam. Well, that about wrap it up for this one. Y'all go make sure y'all find Adam. I appreciate you for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening to your podcast. Um, if you liked it, tell your friends, tell your family. And if you don't like it, I mean, tell your enemies. I mean, as long as they subscribe. So if somebody gave you and said, hey, man, listen to this podcast. Try to figure out if you're their friend or their enemy. Make sure you thank a veteran, thank a first responder, and I hope to catch you on the B-side of the outdoors.